for the main message portion of our service now. So if you have a Bible, or if you have it on your phone, you can get it out and get it ready. We'll be using it here. Let's start with prayer. Lord, one of the parts of our worship service is being taught from your word. So as we do that now, Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit come among us in a powerful way and open our ears, open our hearts, our minds to take in the truth that we're going to read, to know that this comes directly from you. This is something you want us to understand and live by. So we ask your blessing now on the main message in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this past week, uh, as I always do on Friday, I get together with some other ministers and pastors from the Canfield community, and uh, we share, uh, talk about what's going on in our congregations, and you know, many of the things that uh, we deal with, we all, all the churches go through the same things. And uh, we were maybe just a little bit feeling kind of sorry and a little discouragement about the congregations, and uh, we certainly share in uh, not only Canfield, but across the nation now, uh, kind of a, a period of time that we're going through where there doesn't seem to be a lot of growth in churches, where it's kind of hard to get people interested in talking about God or even thinking about God. In our country, we're so distracted by so many other things, uh, people don't feel a need for God in their life. Uh, they have an emptiness in their lives that they're trying to fill in so many different other ways they don't realize that it's, it's God that should be there filling that hole or that gap in their lives. Uh, so, uh, you know, we were just talking about this period of time that we're going through, and it's, it's a struggle at times, and it's hard for pastors to kind of keep their spirits up and uh, keep their focus where it needs to be. You know, it reminded me of this passage. I was reading this the other night in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because sometimes we focus too much on our own problems and some of the situations and trials that we're facing. And it's not just the ministry, it's the members in general. I know all of you, you know, we just read the, the list here of all of the people suffering physical problems and dealing with uh, issues in their life, surgeries and pain and uh, loss and, and all that sort of thing. And it's real and it's, it's uh, powerful, but yet uh, we have to keep our focus where, where it belongs. And in this passage, Paul talks about where our focus needs to be. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, okay, not just the pastors and the elders, but all of us are participants in the ministry of Jesus Christ today, the ministry of all believers, as it has been referred to, we do not lose heart. So be careful that you don't get discouraged, that you don't get depressed, he says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. He's talking about our ministry being pure before God, that our focus is where it should be. We don't get carried away with crazy ideas and the things that we preach. We keep our focus on Jesus. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, 
if it seems that so many people you know, who hear the gospel aren't getting the point, it's not important to them, it doesn't seem real to them, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Spiritually speaking, Paul, Paul doesn't you know, mince words, he tells it plainly, the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we wonder sometimes, you know, as the gospel is preached, why don't more people seem to be responding to it? Well, not only are people in our society distracted by other things, but we have to be reminded that we have an enemy out there who is, uh, as he says here, blinding the minds of unbelievers, shifting their priorities to other things, whatever those other things might be. It says, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So sometimes as pastors, we, we are concerned, well, are, are we not preaching the right way? Is, is church not taking place the way it should be? Is it, is it our fault? Is it something we're doing wrong? We always need to check that. But we're reminded here by Paul that, listen, we have an enemy who is at work in our society and who has been for many years now and is very effective in the things that he does. So he's blinding the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Jesus Christ is the key. Jesus is the one who must be preached, everything about him, who he is, the Son of God, why he came to this earth to die for the sins of the human race, and what he does now, the ministry that he performs as our mediator uh, before God. I want to continue reading there, but I'm just going to go back here to the previous chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. This thing about somebody's face being veiled or being blinded, he uses uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, he reminds us of what happened in the Old Testament in the case of Moses. Remember, Moses was chosen by God to be the intermediary between himself, God, and the people of Israel. And there were times where Moses would go up on Mount Sinai or wherever and meet with God and speak with God and just being in the presence of God's glory, when he would depart and go back down to the people of Israel, that experience that he had caused his whole body, his face, to glow. That's, that's what happens when you're in the presence of God. You know, his radiance kind of uh, affects you and, and kind of wears off on you a little bit. Notice he says here in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds, talking about the nation of Israel in general, their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So Jesus Christ is the key to understand who he is, to obey his commands, to worship him. Certainly God the Father is, is important, the Holy Spirit is important, but for us, Christ is in some way the key. And once you turn to Jesus Christ, once you acknowledge him as your savior, once you worship him, 
and to realize who you are in Christ before knowing him, you were cut off from God because of your sins, but he has reconciled you back into relationship with the Father. It's not until you understand that and accept that that the veil is taken away and you truly begin to understand. We went through that as a church going back decades ago when our focus was not on Jesus Christ. It was on other things. (laughs) A lot of things from the Old Testament, a lot of things from the law we thought were very important and in some ways we thought were even more important than knowing Jesus personally. But thanks be to God that he led us from that situation where there was kind of a veil over our face and once we were directed toward Jesus Christ, wow, the veil was removed we came into a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think that we know God, we understand the Father, the the Son, and the Holy Spirit more clearly now than we ever did. And we're just still rejoicing in that. But uh, in a similar way, people in our society today have veils over their face. They can't see, they can't understand. So, you know, what is the problem as to why, you know, churches today aren't overflowing in numbers? Well, it has to do with Satan and the work that he's doing. And it also is the fact that until people turn to Jesus, they hear the gospel, but they have to respond to it, that they're not fully going to understand. They've got to make a decision for themselves. But once you make that decision, boy, how your life changes and how you come to know God, and you come to live in God's blessings. So it says here, because only in Christ is the veil taken away. Verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So Jesus is the key. Somebody might say, well, why every service we're talking about Jesus in one way or another? Because he is the key. (laughs) Because your relationship with him is the thing that opens understanding. It brings freedom. He is the key to all that we're doing here. Okay, back to the next chapter again. Bear with me here. He says in verse 5 now, this is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So that's the key. That's, as he's going to go on to say now, that is the treasure that we all possess. It is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now he goes on to say in verse 7, but we have this treasure, that's the treasure, our relationship with God, our knowledge of who Jesus is. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So he compares our bodies, who we are, our, our spiritual, our emotional, our psychological health, our physical health, to jars of clay. 
Now, clay jars were something that were as popular back then as plastic bags are today. They were everywhere, okay? When you go shopping, they give you all your food in plastic bags. And, you know, I bring home, I do most of the shopping, so I bring home the groceries, and I'm always trying to save the, the plastic bags because we do different things with them. So there's a drawer uh, on the bottom of this, this cupboard, and I'm always stuffing these plastic bags from Giant Eagle or from Marks or from Walmart into this drawer to the point that it's overflowing. And my wife is saying, why do you keep saving all of these plastic bags? And she's trying to throw them out, and I put more in there. They're all over the place. Well, in Paul's day, it was clay pots. So... They were the containers that everybody would use. They didn't have plastic back in those days, so there were scads and scads of these clay, not really beautiful pots, rather simple and, and rather plain, but that's what everybody would use for storage. They'd put their wine in there, they'd put their olive oil in there, they would put food in there, they would put important things in there. You know, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, I think you're all familiar with them. They were found, maybe a trying to think how far back that was in the 1940s or something like that. And these scrolls were found in clay pots <laughs> because they were the common item of the day for storage. Now, it's interesting because he compares how we have this treasure, our relationship with God, our knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. It's stored in clay jars. That's our body. So you got a beautiful thing, and you would think... Boy, if you have a, a treasure, wouldn't you want to put it in a special receptacle, a beautiful receptacle? Well, normally you would, but that's not the way God thinks. He puts this treasure in clay jars. Why does he do that? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we struggle with these bodies, especially as we get older. We think, uh, wow, you know, it's wonderful. We know God, and we have this gospel message to preach, but we're so limited. As we get older, we don't have that much energy. We don't have that much strength. We seem limited in what we can do, and we wonder, why, God? Why do I struggle? I'm having surgeries. I'm having to go to the doctor. I'm needing to get x-rays. As far as God is concerned, that's okay. That's his purpose. He purposely put his treasure in these clay jars because he's showing that the power is from him, not from us. Before we start thinking too much of ourselves, how special we might be, you know, because we know God. No, the glory goes to God, not to us. So he purposely puts this treasure in these clay jars that tend to fall apart over time that seem to be kind of plain and they're very common, that's okay as far as God's concerned. Don't be discouraged about your life and your health and things like that. The glory goes to God, not to you. So we as Christians don't come to church every week and, and talk about how wonderful we look and how powerful we feel and how dynamic we are. No, generally when we come here, we share with each other prayer <laughs> requests that we're having pains, we're having aches, we got family problems. We got work problems. You know what? That's according to God's purpose. 
because he doesn't want us to lose sight of the fact that all of the majesty is God's, not ours. He goes on to say here, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. We're dealing with struggles of one sort or another every day, it seems. But we're not crushed. God's in control, don't worry. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. It's not as bad as you think. Don't worry, God's still in charge. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So think about that. The next time you're suffering, the next time you have aches and pains, remember, to an extent, we carry about in our bodies daily the death of Jesus, suffering. Jesus came to this earth to be a suffering servant, a suffering servant, and we share in that. So don't despair and don't get depressed when you have your aches and pains and you need to go to the hospital for surgery and you got family problems of one sort or another or work problems. We're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, he says to the congregation. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God, not toward us. God is the focus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And Sometimes Christians are tempted to do that. Do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. That's according to God's purpose. He created these bodies to live so many years and then they start falling apart and you need replacement parts and you need things corrected and you need things fixed up. Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So the strength comes from God. Now, when we're young, we revel in our physical strength and how much we can live and how fast we can run and how quickly we can get our work done. But as we get older, we realize we don't have that strength anymore. The strength we need comes from God. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Don't focus too much on your physical condition and your trials around you, but on, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And you know, these physical jars of clay that we inhabit, don't forget we have a treasure that we're holding on to, and that is our relationship with, with God, our eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. These physical jars aren't going to last forever, as we just shared in uh, the passing of our friend... Uh, Velma Telford, a couple of weeks ago. You know, there comes a time where the physical body is put to rest. 
in the grave. But our spirit goes to be with God. And the time is coming too, we are promised, that we are going to have new bodies. No longer jars of clay, but beautiful, suitable homes for eternal life. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll turn back there just a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these jars of clay, these physical bodies that we inhabit right now are meant to be temporary. They're meant to wear down over time. They're meant to have aches and pains and, and, and other problems that come along because it gives us hope to look forward to what we will eventually be. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So we'll be raised from mortal to immortal. So again, it's God's purpose that we have these mortal, physical jars of clay that we inhabit. And as they break down, we're looking forward more and more to the future body that we will have, to the glorified body that we will have that is going to last forever. We'll have eternal life as we dwell with God so through it all, we don't put the emphasis on ourselves. Whether it's our strength, if we consider we're beautiful, our beauty, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Our, our brains, our wits about us. The focus isn't on ourselves, it's on God. In fact, Scripture tells us that God purposely calls the weak of the world. The foolish of the world. Since we're in Corinthians here, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Again, we're talking about how the gospel is being preached today, but not too many people respond to it. Certainly, there are parts of the world where tremendous growth is taking place, specifically in Africa and third world countries. But looking at the example of America, I also speak to people who are missionaries to Europe. Same thing is happening in Europe. In fact, things are worse in Europe than they are in America. As far as people coming to Christianity, people worshiping on a regular basis. He says here in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They hear the gospel and they think, that's not for me. Or I don't, I don't even believe in any of that stuff. I don't believe that there's a God. But to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, 
and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser, not that God is foolish in any way, but it's just a figure of speech. If there were any foolishness to God, it is still wiser than man's wisdom. And the weaknesses of God, which of course he doesn't have, but if he did, in the figure of speech, the weaknesses of God is stronger than man's strength. I like this section, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I want you to know that you understand things about God that the greatest philosophers, the greatest scientists in the history of the world have never fathomed. You understand things that these people have been searching for all their lives. And you, by comparison, are weak and foolish when you compare yourself to those other people. Verse 28, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So, you know, you can turn on TV and see some of the greatest scientists give their views about whether there is a God or not and if there is a God, what he would be like. And sometimes we just kind of shake their head thinking, well, wait a minute, why do I understand who God is? Why do I understand that God is one, yet three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? These people can't even begin to contemplate that. But I seem to understand it so clearly. I believe it. I believe it strongly. That's God's glory. He hasn't called the wise of the world. He hasn't called the super you know, brain people, the scientists, uh, you know, the rich, the famous. You don't read too much about famous movie stars believing what we believe, being Christians. In fact, as I look around the room here, you know, we don't have the super rich, the super smart. We tend to be common people, don't we? God has specifically called us to understand the truth, to put to shame those people who think that they're really something. And they think that they're so smart and so rich and so good-looking that, you know, they should be uh, honored and praised. And some people do honor them and praise them. But to show God's glory, he has called the the low of the earth, the, the, the common of the earth, to understand these things. Verse 29, so that no, no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. So we're not here for any glory on ourselves. All the glory goes to God. And he purposely set it up that way to put to shame all those people who think they know it all and who think that because of their great wealth, they control the world and all the politicians and all the, you know, it's wonderful. Let those people live their lives, but their priorities are wrong. And they don't really understand. They've got this emptiness in their life. They're searching to fill through all sorts of different means 
but it can only be filled by God, by knowing him. That's the treasure that God has given us. So don't be discouraged. This is the way God meant it to be. As Christians today, we're going to struggle because we're kind of sharing in Jesus' suffering and ultimately death. We're meant to have a body that hopefully is strong for a good many years, but then it tends to weaken, and with it comes sicknesses and accidents and injuries. We try our best to live the right way and to be safe in everything that we do, but it just seems sometimes that you can't avoid running into pain, uh, weakness. That's okay. God's in control. He set it up to be that way. So we never put the uh, importance on ourselves. It's hard to feel like a big shot, you know, when you're laying in bed, suffering in pain, trying to recuperate from something. You don't feel like a big shot. Good. We're learning a lesson of patience. We're learning a lesson of humility. That's what God intended it to be. But through it all, his glory shines through our lives. You see, those old jars of clay had a lot of uh, chips in them and cracks in them. And sometimes if you hold it up to the light, you can kind of see light shining right through the cracks and the holes. That's our body, and that's how God's glory shines out, through the cracks and through the holes that we've now got in these clay pots. But the treasure is in the clay pot. God installed that treasure in there so that, you know, what people see, it's not our personal greatness, our personal beauty or handsomeness or our personal strength. It's God's light shining through these clay pots. That's what people notice. And when they notice it, the praise and honor doesn't go to us. It goes to God. It's the way it's meant to be. So don't get discouraged. Don't get depressed as problems mount in your life. But put your focus on God. We don't look forward to these human bodies living forever. They're not going to. We look forward to a glorified body, which we have all been promised. And there's no comparison between the mortal and the immortal, which we will have. God designed it that way, so our focus isn't on this life. It's on the life to come. The focus isn't on what we have in these physical bodies. The focus is on what we will have in Jesus Christ in the future. It's a treasure that we all possess. And God didn't provide, at least right now, a beautiful vessel to hold it. He provided a very common vessel. And there's a lot of them around, and they come with their own problems and their own issues, and we deal with those, but as long as our focus is in the right spot, it'll be okay. God's got it, God's in charge of it, and it's working out okay, don't worry. So treasures in jars of clay. We understand what the treasure is. It is the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, who we are because of Jesus Christ. We are children of God now. And we have eternal life with him. It is a promise that will be fulfilled. And we don't think too highly of ourselves because we understand God has called the foolish of, of the world. Remember the song we used to sing years and years ago? Not many wise men now are called. Not many noble brethren. 
but we're the sons and daughters of God. And God is all about humility. God is a very humble God, and he wants us to be the same way. So he planned it out in advance that we would have to suffer through aches and pains and uh, trials and tribulations, but it's to draw us closer to him and to continually remind us that our reward is not in this life, it's in the life to come. So we look forward to that with even more anticipation. And in the meantime, we suffer with one another. We draw to God in in our prayer for help, but we also are encouraged by one another because we're all going through the same issues. So we are a family. We are all God's children. And praise God, because of Jesus Christ and who he is, he has made us who we now are, very sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you very much for the truth about this awesome treasure that you've placed in these jars of clay. The treasure is, is uh, something that we are so happy with, that we are so proud to have, to be called your children, especially in a world that doesn't seem to care very much about you. We understand why. We just wish that more and more people could have this treasure in their lives. And Father, we know that this life isn't the end of it. We're looking forward to a future life with you beyond this life, beyond the grave. It is a promise from you, and you will not forsake us. You will follow through and and make that uh, promise a reality for each and every one of us. And we just imagine what it will be like living with you, worshiping you, praising you for all eternity. So, Lord, thank you for our calling. Thank you for lifting the veil from our faces. Thank you for focusing us on Jesus Christ and who he is and the importance of what he did dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, and your love. We love you, and we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.